Uh, we're going to keep going here. We've been uh, working our way slowly but surely uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, for those of you who don't know, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, three chapters in the book of Matthew. It's Jesus' uh, biggest uh, single discourse, message, sermon, whatever you want to call it, in the entire Bible, of course, in the Gospels. And uh, we've worked our way through all of chapter 5, much of chapter 6, and we've just kind of slowed down, and we've uh, taken the last few weeks to work our way through the Lord's Prayer. And so today will be the end of the, the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and, uh, so it, but it's just so good. It's so rich. And, uh, and then we'll keep going, and, and once Pastor Ray is done, then we'll come back to the Sermon on the Mount and finish off the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, why don't we just start this morning by, again, reading the Lord's Prayer. And just awesome. I mean, it's just um, the, the glory of God the Father and the wisdom of Jesus and how amazing prayer is and we can meet with the Father in prayer is incredible. And so let's just read it together again. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now we've covered some of these lines uh, a little bit out of order and stuff, but today I'm going to finish off. We're going to talk about your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, let's pray first. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you that we get to meet together. Thank you for the many friendships, uh, family. It feels like family here for so many of us. And I thank you for that. I thank you for this prayer where you taught us the heart behind prayer. And you showed us the Father's heart towards us when we pray. I just pray, Jesus, that as today, as, I, as we talk our way through this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus, I pray that you would open up our eyes to just see how much you love us and give us a new motivation and desire to pray. In your name we pray, amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. One of the central uh, heart core components of prayer is that we are supposed to desire that Jesus is coming back soon. And again, this is not a formula. I've said that over and over and over again in, that, in this series. It's been a theme that this is not a formula. I'm going to say it again now. We're not talking here that now, you know, this is not a guilt thing. You know, some of you, it's, it's not like, you know, now i got to, two times a week, I've got to add this to the list. Of all the things I'm praying for now, i got to add to the list, Jesus, would you please come back soon? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's showing us the heart behind the Lord's Prayer. The heart that prays effectively, the heart that loves to pray, is a heart that loves the Father, and a heart that loves the Father is a heart that wants Jesus to come back soon. So this is not a guilt thing. This is not a, oh, I never prayed for that one. I need to start praying for it. This is, a, this is actually a love thing. If you love Jesus, you will want him to come back. And a heart that loves Jesus is a heart that's going to want to pray. Jesus is showing us here the heart that connects with the Father in prayer, a central core part of that heart. Not that you're every day praying, Jesus, come back, Jesus, come back, Jesus, come back, even though that will sometimes come out as well. But what he's talking about here is a heart thing, is this heart, the heart that prays effectively and that has joy in prayer is the heart that is seasoned with this desire. I love Jesus. Jesus, your kingdom come soon. You know, uh, it's like, uh, you know, um, and some people think that the sad thing is that in many circles today, uh, many people in the church feel like it's weird to talk about Jesus coming back. They feel like it's weird to talk about Jesus coming back. But the thing is, I mean, I think of um, back before uh, my wife LaDonna and I, we've been married 13 years now, 
uh, loving every year better than the last one. It's amazing. But you know, before we got married, uh, in, the, in the weeks and months leading up to the wedding day, I was excited to get married, okay? And, and for those of you who are young people now, and if you're getting married, I mean, if I ask someone who's getting married next week, if I asked a, a girl or a guy um, who's getting married next week, and I said, hey, you're getting married next week, uh, you know, how, are you excited? And they were like, um, yeah, I, I guess I am getting married next week, aren't, aren't I? If they weren't excited, you'd think something was wrong, right? I mean, it's one thing to not be excited 10 years in, right? Um, and some of you have experienced that, unfortunately, okay? But if you're not excited on the front end, that's a problem, right? I mean, if you're not, do you know what's happening here? Are you not pumped to go into this? Or because you love that person. You know, I think of even when we were gone, one time we left our kids for a few days and uh, all by themselves at home. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just the way it sounded for a second. Uh, they had babysitters. And, uh, um, but anyway, we left them for a few days. When we came back, well, the interesting thing is me and LaDon had a, had a blast together. We just loved doing stuff together. But even while we were having tons of fun together, you missed your kids. I mean, because we, and why? Because we love them. It's not like we put it on the to-do list. Oh, don't forget today to miss the kids a little bit. Oh, yeah, okay, let's do some missing the kids part now. It's just with you because you love them. So we were gone. We were having an absolute blast together. But in the back of our minds all the time, we were missing them. When we came home, I remember uh, seeing them the first time at Grandma and Grandpa's and and, uh, and, and I, I, I like to tell myself that they missed us too, um, but we certainly missed them, but we ran up to them, and we all gave each other hugs, and, and why? Why? Because we miss them, because we love them. If you love someone, you miss them. And in the same sense, Jesus says here, your kingdom come. This isn't a formula. You add this to the prayer list now. I have to pray for Jesus to come back. That's not what he's talking. And if I don't, he won't come back. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the heart. This is a heart that goes somewhere with God, is a heart that loves Him. And a heart that loves Him is a heart that wants Him to come back because something's not right here. This is not weird. If you love Jesus, it's weird to think it's weird to want Him to come back. That's weird. You might want to make a note of that. Okay? It's not, it's, it's not weird. We should want Jesus to come back. Something's not right until He is back. You know, um... I know a lot of people, if you've ever been on a big trip somewhere, right? Isn't this true? And I've been on some big trips in my life too. And because it's just human nature, when you're going to go on a big trip somewhere, you're excited to go on a big trip. So wherever it is, you're, you're going somewhere. And isn't it true that in the weeks leading up to that big trip, what are you talking about all the time? You're talking about your big trip. Oh, we're going to see this. We're going to see that. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun. We're going to leave early in the morning. We're going to fly over to here and we're going to fly there. And you're telling everybody about your trip. Why? Because you're excited to go on a trip. And whoever you're going on the trip with, you're talking about it with them, you're talking about it with other people because that's what we human beings do when we're excited about something. We talk about it. In the same way, someone who actually loves Jesus is someone, you know, when he comes back, it's not, you know, sometimes people say, you know, it's weird to talk about Jesus coming back. I just, I want to talk about more practical things that have to do with this life. Practical? You're going to spend the next 9,900 million, billion, trillion, quadrillion years forever into eternity with Jesus after he comes back. That means, you know, 99.9999999999% of your existence is not this point zero 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 one percent of the 70 years here. It's the forever after. There's nothing, there should be nothing more exciting to us, people who walk with Jesus and love Jesus, than to yearn, to desire, oh, I miss you, and I want you to come back. Now, again, this is not a guilt thing. This is not some of you are going, because many of you are going there, oh, you know what, I, I know I should. I know I should desire for Jesus to come back, 
but I just don't. It, you, you, the thing is, and then you feel guilty. Oh, I'm not, it's not a good Christian. I'm not, I'm, I'm not that spiritual. And, and, but the thing is about desiring Jesus to come back, it's not a flip you switch on or off. It's not like you can just go home tonight and go, oh, Chris said we got to desire. You know, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, we got to desire your kingdom to come. So what you just, you know, I, and I just feel guilty because I don't want you to come back. It's not a f- switch you flip on or off. It comes out of relationship. Again, I don't have to go home and convince myself to miss my wife if she's gone for a little while. The reason I miss her is because I love her. So if I want to work on missing her more, I don't turn on a switch that says I miss her more. The more I know her, the more I do stuff with her, the more I love her, which means when she's gone, I miss her. And the same is true with Jesus. It, the point here is not, I'm putting a guilt trip on you. I have to now start wanting Jesus to come back. The point is, you don't go home and work on wanting Jesus to come back. What you go home and do is you go home and you talk to Jesus about your life. And you listen to him. And you tell him what's on your heart. And you spend time with him. And you start bringing him into your daily life. And the more you spend time with him like that, and not, I'm not just talking about spending time with him as this spiritual thing that I do my devotions every day and it's super boring and I don't. I'm talking about real life with Jesus when you bring him into everything you're doing and you're listening to him and you're experiencing him. And as you begin to grow in relationship like that with him, you're going to start to grow in love for him. And as you start to grow in love for him, that's what Jesus is saying here. The heart that is after the Father's heart is a heart that loves him. And a heart that loves him is a heart that's going to miss him because he, yes, in his spirit he is here right now, but things are not right here on the earth until Jesus is actually physically here with us forever and ever. And when you get to that place where you begin to miss Jesus and actually all of your prayers are seasoned by this heart of, I'm not just living for this lifetime. See, many people, the reason we struggle with prayer, I'll tell you why we struggle with prayer, is because our whole life is invested in this life. Our whole heart is invested in what's happening in my life right now. And as long as your whole life is invested in the here and now, prayer's never going to make much sense to you. And I'm not saying you've got to have your head in the clouds. You never think about the here and now. But when your heart is set on Jesus, and more and more you get to know him, you begin to desire him, that's actually what fuels prayer, is I love him, and I want to be with him, and my life is going to be with him forever and ever. When that begins to season your prayers, your prayer life comes alive. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Not a formula. It's a heart thing. We love Jesus. It's not weird. Now, people can be weird about Jesus coming back, but it's not weird to talk about Jesus coming back or to want Jesus coming back. But now we move on to the next thing. I want to park for the rest of this, this um, message on your will be done. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is, there's this beautiful place. There's this beautiful place that we can go with, with the Father in prayer where we actually begin to, where we actually begin to trust and we experience his goodness so much that we actually begin to yield ourselves over to him and we actually want his will to be done, not ours. It's a beautiful place. We begin to trust him. We begin to know he's good. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to spend a whole bunch of time there today. Jesus said it elsewhere in the gospel. He said, my food is to do the will of the Father in heaven. That's where jo- the joy is. That's where the fulfillment in Jesus is, is when we get to this place in prayer where it's like, oh, Jesus I just, and you know what, it's not this place you go, you know, you just flip a switch and you're there for the rest of your life. It's a place you go, and then we're so unfaithful as human beings. You come back, and then a week later, it's like, oh, shoot. And then you, you, you go back, but every time we get to that place in prayer, Father, I want your will to be done here on earth, here in my life as it is in heaven. That is a beautiful place to go with God. That's heaven in your heart. 
I want to talk a whole bunch about that. But before I talk about that, we first have to spend a few minutes. We have to do a little bit of doctrine. We have to do a little bit of theology here. Um, and we have to talk about what this does not mean. And the reason we have to talk about what the first what this does not mean is because there's a very popular teaching out there right now. number of different teachers. I'm not picking on any one person. Um, but there's a very popular teaching out there right now about this line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's a wrong teaching. And if, you, if, you're, if your picture of this prayer is colored by that teaching, you won't actually be able to see the beauty of what Jesus is actually trying to get at here in the heart. Okay, so I just want to spend a few minutes, and just so you know, I'm not criticizing. Yeah, I read a book a few years ago. Uh, the whole book was about this whole thing of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Like I said, it's a very popular teaching out there now. Lots of young people listening to it, following it, reading about it. And, uh, but I read a book the, a few years ago, the, and the whole thing was about your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it was from this teaching. And I just want to say at the top, the guy who wrote the book actually genuinely loves Jesus. Like, he has a walk with Jesus and loves Jesus. So what I'm doing here now the next few minutes, I'm, I'm, I'm correcting a doctrine. I'm not criticizing people. I just want you to know that. Okay, are you with me? Did you, did you hear what I just said? Okay. Uh, some of the people, and there's a whole bunch of different people who are teaching this. Popular teachers, popular authors. Um, some of them are actually really godly and sincere. They're not trying to be bad. Okay. So I'm not against the people, and I'm not against you if you've read some of these books or if, you, or you, if you've been touched by it. That book I read, there was a number of things in there I actually really liked. But, actually, but the doctrine is actually wrong and it hurts people. And I've been reminded again in the last few weeks, I've had a number of conversations again in the, last, in the last three weeks in particular, a number of conversations with real people here in this church who have been hurt badly by this doctrine, uh, families that, are, that have been strained badly, you know, people lying in hospital beds and well-meaning Christians come in and they actually put guilt trips on them. Why are you going through this? People who have not followed their doctor's instructions because of this teaching and have been very seriously physically hurt because of it. This doctrine, I'm not against the people, some of the sincere people who teach it, but the doctrine needs to be corrected because the doc- bad doctrine hurts people. And you say, well, just get on with it already. What, what, what's the teaching, right? I'm, I'm very curious now. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Basically, it's this teaching. People take that one line, and again, very popular out there right now, and they've turned into this whole theology. And basically what they say is, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means that whatever's in heaven, we're supposed to pray into being here on earth. So, and when you take that line out of its context, when you just take it out of the Lord's Prayer, you take it out of the context of Scripture, it sounds very convincing. You can actually, it, you know, when you interpret it that way, it, it seems to work. That what Jesus is teaching us to preach here is whatever, you know, teaching us to pray here is your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven means that whatever's in heaven, I'm supposed to pray it into being here on earth. And so what you do then, and then they go through a list of things. Is there any sickness or disease in heaven? And the answer is no. Okay? If there was, we wouldn't be looking forward to it. Okay? There is certainly no sickness or disease in heaven. What they take this teaching to mean then is that means there shouldn't be any sickness or disease here on earth, which means that if you have enough faith, all you've got to do is pray this prayer. Your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven, and I'm just, I'm just declaring this sickness and this, and this suffering to be gone. Or they ask the question, is there any poverty in heaven? Well, is there any poverty in heaven? There's no poverty in heaven, okay? At least not the heaven I'm going to, okay? I don't know where you're going, but um, there's no poverty in heaven. So then they say, well, see, there's no poverty in heaven, Jesus pray, tells us to pray, your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. Therefore, there should be no poverty here on earth. In fact, we'll be wealthy in heaven. We'll be financially blessed and prosperous. 
So we can pray, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, means we can declare and claim in faith financial blessings and prosperity and wealth and all of that. And it seems, it seems uh, really, really convincing when you take that sentence out and you, and you just go with it like that. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't actually work. But it's convincing, especially the other thing that makes it really convincing, and th this has to do with more than just this doctrine, but it really becomes convincing when people attach a bunch of testimonies to it too, right? And I want to I help you understand something here because some of you, you'll just believe anything if someone attaches a testimony to it. And so they attach a few testimonies. Like I prayed that this one time and this guy got miraculous healing. And I prayed that this time and, you know, huge financial blessing. And so you attach a bunch of healing or, you know, miracles, healing miracles and financial miracles. See, it's supposed to be just the same on earth as it is in heaven. And the fact of the matter is, that is not in any way, shape, or form what Jesus was teaching here. We don't believe that at all here at Southland. Now, the th but the thing is, we could also show, show you testimonies. We've had lots of healings here. I could pull out my journal and say, well, okay, you guys just aren't into any healing. You're just not, God doesn't bless. You're just rah, 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 downer. I could pull out my adventure. I've talked about it a lot since January. I could pull out my Adventure with God journal, and I would challenge many of you to start your own Adventure with God journal. But I've got an Adventure with God journal, and I would, I would challenge any of you, just come talk to me. We would go through my Adventure with God journal, and I could show you lots of incredible things, financial blessings, miracles, answers to prayer that I've had just this past year. We could talk about my life, even growing up. I've seen lots of miracles in my life. I've seen lots of answers to prayer. I'm going to keep seeing them because people who walk with Jesus will see answers to prayer. The Bible promises it. So the question is not, does God heal? 100% agreement, he does heal. The question is, does he always heal here on earth so that it's, we can have it exactly like heaven, we can have it right now? The question is not, does God ever financially bless? He does. I just talked to a, I have a friend of mine here in the church again a couple of weeks ago. We're going to actually probably show his testimony a couple of weeks up on a, on a video. And uh, incredible in the last year, God uh, has healed him of some incredible stuff. Also, the financial blessings, massive, some huge answers to prayer. God has rescued him from stuff, blessed him. Amazing. So do we believe that God, you know, he's a loving father. Do we believe that he sometimes answers prayers like that and blesses us financially? You bet. The question isn't, does he ever bless financially or heal? The question is, does he always bless with prosperity here on earth? Can you claim prosperity in heaven here on earth right now? That's the question. And so the fact that they have some testimonies and the fact that they have this one line in the, in the Lord's Prayer does not make a sound doctrine. We have to actually apply some logic to this teaching. Did you know that it's actually spiritual to use logic sometimes? I mean, there's a place that's unspiritual where you just use logic and it's no heart, but did you know that actually logic and the Spirit go together? The God of the Spirit and the God of the heart is also the God of the, God of the mind. And so we can just use a little bit of logic, okay, to see if this teaching holds up. So the, the teaching is whatever's in heaven, you can pray that and claim it here on earth. So if there's no sickness in heaven, there shouldn't be sickness here. If there's wealth in heaven, there should be wealth and blessing here. So now let's just, add, let's just test that theory a little bit further. Let me ask you this question. Is there any marriage in heaven? You don't know now. It's a bit of a trick question. Is there any marriage in heaven? No. There's no marriage in heaven. Now, I'm going to, go to, I'm going to show you this, Mark chapter 12. Now, some of you, I, I, I almost hesitated to go here to Mark 12 because people with bad marriages 
are always pumped about, yes, there's no marriage in heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah, there's an end to this thing. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> People who have good marriages, you know, like my wife and I, LaDawn, I, I don't envy a single person's uh, marriage. We just have, I love her to death. And uh, not, n yeah, I just love her, okay? <laughs> I don't why, where did we get that saying? That's a bit weird, but, but, um, I love her like crazy. But, and so, you know, often, you know, people see this passage and say, oh, you know, there's no marriage in heaven. Oh, it's horrible. Like, can, can we just trust God on this one? Like, he invented marriage, and it's really good. He also invented heaven. I think we can trust that it's going to be even better. Amen? And it's not going to get worse. And I'm not saying that you're going to forget about your spouse. And one of the, one of the, this is a rabbit trail. Really, this has nothing to do with the message. But let's just heaven for just a second. We have this idea of the harps and the commune and blah, 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 like this in heaven. It's so sick. And uh, my wife and me will just live in a commune with a billion other people and she won't be special to me anymore. That's ridiculous. Close friendships you had here on earth are still going to be close special friendships there. You're not going to go backwards with your wife or your husband in heaven from what you are now. There just isn't going to be marriage, okay? That's an aside. Mark chapter 12. I just have to prove it to you, okay? Jesus said to them, <laughs> fly. Um, sorry. In case you were thinking, yeah, oh, demon. No, it's just a fly. <laughs> the Sadducees come to Jesus, and uh, Sadducees come to Jesus, and they want to trap him, right? They're like, well, what happens, Jesus? Yeah, you say there's a resurrection. We say, think that's stupid. And the reason is because, look at if a woman marries a guy and he dies, and then she marries another guy and he dies, and then she marries another guy and he dies, and she does this seven times, who's she going to be married to in the resurrection? They think they have him stumped. And he says this, Mark 12, 24 to 25, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, okay, but are like the angels in heaven. So there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Now what did all that have to do with this? Okay, There's this teaching, right? You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven, there shouldn't be any sickness on earth. There's no poverty in heaven, there shouldn't be any poverty on earth. If we carry that theory through to its logical end, there's no marriage in heaven, maybe we should be praying against marriages here on earth. Nobody's having sex or babies in their marriage up in heaven, so maybe we should stop doing that here on earth. No. That's crazy. The, the, the logic doesn't make sense. How about this one? Is there any suffering in heaven? Let's ask that question. Is there any suffering in heaven? Oh, you better believe you're... Well, I don't know what I'm going to say there. You better believe it. That there's not. <laughs> Just believe it, okay? There's no suffering in heaven. We're looking forward to it. He's going to wipe every tear from our eye, right? There's no suffering in heaven. Well, what did Jesus say about here on earth, though? John 16, I have said these things to you. Jesus said that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. In heaven there's no tribulation, but Jesus said on earth there is promises. He's not going to be wrong. He's 100% right in everything he says. He said, you will have tribulation here on earth. So marriage, tribulation, there's lots of things that are here on earth that aren't in heaven. Jesus' teaching here is not that we can just claim whatever's in heaven, we can just claim it. It's just a formula. I can just claim whatever's in heaven, I can just claim it here in my life right here. That logic doesn't work. We'd be praying against marriage. We'd be dissolving marriages. We'd be, we'd be claiming that we'd never have to suffer when Jesus says we clearly would have to suffer. See, the fact of the matter is, it's like this. Let me, let me use it, uh, illustrate. We have different, there's different, well, my wife and I, our kids, our family, we have different rooms in our house. Isn't that true? You guys, your houses, you have different rooms in your houses, okay? And if we, let's compare two rooms, bathroom, kitchen, okay? Now, as a dad to my kids, I love my kids equally, equally much 
whether they're in the bathroom or in the kitchen. I don't love them less when they're in the bathroom than when they're in the kitchen. Isn't that true if you're a dad here? Okay? But is my will for what my kids do in the bathroom the same as for what they do in the kitchen? <laughs> it's not a trick question. I love them the same in both. But what I want them doing in one and what I want them doing in the other is totally different. And if my kids call to me from the bathroom, hey, Dad, can you bring me a waffle in here? It's like, not on your life. You get those little hands washed up and you come out of there and sit down at the table, you can have a waffle, but you, don't, you can't enjoy all the benefits and blessings of the kitchen until you're done with what you got. Now, it's not that the bathroom's a bad room. It's a necessary room, right? Very necessary. I've got four kids. It gets more and more necessary with every one, right? Um, it's a necessary room. It serves its function, but you can't enjoy all the benefits and blessings of the kitchen until you finish with the bathroom and come into the kitchen. And the same is true with earth and heaven. God, there is a necessary purpose for what's happening on the earth right now. God's redemptive plan is not over yet. Someday heaven and earth are going to come together and His will will be the same on, for both at the same time. It's the redemptive. It's the redemption of mankind, and it's all finished, and the story's good. And after that, it's all healing and prosperity all the time. But in the meantime, he's not done with his redemptive purposes here on the earth, which means that there's still a place for the devil in his work, and there's still a place for sickness, and there's still a place for suffering. If there wasn't a place for those things, God is sovereign and powerful. He would have got rid of it already. But he's still working out his plan, purifying his bride, winning the loss to himself, getting things ready, turning you and me from proud, self-centered people into, into humble, godly people. And in order to accomplish all those purposes, he uses things like suffering and sickness and all that sort of stuff. And so this idea that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means God's will is the same in both places right now is wrong. Ultimately, it'll be the same. But for right now, there are things that are happening here on earth, just like in the bathroom as opposed to the kitchen. There are things that have to happen here on earth that he doesn't allow in heaven. And we can't just claim heaven here on earth right now. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. See, part of the problem is, see, and, and I think where some of the zeal comes from, and again, people are not bad. I want you to hear my heart on this. Again, I, I read one of the books written by one of these guys, and the guy loves Jesus. Like, it's not even a question. He actually has a relationship with Jesus. And many of the people that get into this teaching... It's often it's young people. Lots of young people get into this teaching. And the reason is, I'll tell you why, because they're hungry for God. They just want more of God. They're restless. They're, I, I remember, I mean, I'm kind of, am I young? Am I old? I don't know. Am I moving out of that? I don't know. I'm 36. So I'm kind of in that, getting into those middle stages, right? But you know, uh, when you're young, you're just, you're zealous. You don't want to have that, that dead religion, right? You want to have a, something real. And so often what happens is young people, because they want something real, they don't want something fake, then they, they, they see a teaching like this, and they, they're just pumped. And, but they, what the happens is they get fixated instead of, sometimes, instead of getting fixated on, i got to have a relationship with Jesus, they get fixated on the manifestations of God. I need more miracles, I need more miracles, I need more miracles. And they get fixated on that as if that means they're getting more of God. So they're well-meaning. It's coming out of a hunger. But the problem with this is when you begin to seek a, a theology that says it's all about miracles and you're seeking miracles, is often you end up missing the biggest miracles that God's doing all around us. Isn't it true? I mean, you end up seeking. It's like, I want to lay my hands. I'm like, I just believe in God so much, and I'm so zealous for God, and I just believe. I just want to, I just want to be able to lay my hands on people's legs, and bones are getting put together, and casts are coming off, and there's nothing wrong with wanting that. 
But you know the scriptures tell us expressly not to pursue miracles like that? 1 Corinthians 13, we're supposed to pursue what? Love. Miracles, miracles are a fun, awesome, encouraging thing, but we're not supposed to pursue the signs and the miracles. We're supposed to pursue love. And sometimes when we get into pursuing, I need to see miracles and healings. I want to see cancer going away and all that sort of stuff. And I love that too. And we have stories like that of miracles, amazing physical miracles here. But it's sometimes in the pursuit of those instantaneous physical wow miracles, we actually miss the biggest miracles of all. And we've got hundreds of those ones in this church. Because the biggest miracles of all isn't someone's bone getting put back together that would have been healed anyway with time. The biggest miracle of all isn't even someone's cancer went away just like that. You know, someday we're going to get resurrected bodies. There won't be any cancer or sickness. That's not the biggest miracle. You know, it's a wonderful one, and we have some like that too. But the biggest miracle isn't someone just getting better right away. The biggest miracle is a changed life. The biggest miracle is a changed life. And I could tell you hundreds of stories from this church of real miracles like that. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of people right now. Uh, I can think of more than one in each of these categories. I'm thinking you know, the raging alcoholic. Totally life, horrible anger, alcoholism, godly father, godly husband now. That's a miracle. I'm thinking of drug addicts in this church. People who are totally drugs and the worst of the worst, living abominable lives, now here in church every week, raising families for Jesus Christ, marriages, working good jobs, productive members of society. That's a miracle, isn't it? That's a miracle. You want to talk about the miracles that make heaven really happen? Those are the miracles that make heaven party. I'm talking about marriages. I can think of a whole bunch of different ones. Marriages that should have been blown into a million pieces. Real marriages. Different reasons. Abuse, adultery, unfaithfulness, all kinds of crazy stuff. Two people hate each other. Kids being torn apart. This thing's blown apart. And the Holy Spirit comes in there working in things. Marriages that are put together now today. Couples that love each other, have forgiven each other, taking care of their kids. Those marriages being restored, working through stuff. Those are miracles. Those are real miracles. Those are, yeah, the other ones are fun. Those are great miracles too. And we have lots of those. God certainly does heal today. Don't hear me saying God doesn't heal today. The book of James says we're supposed to pray for healing. So we do that. We have people come into the office every week and we lay our hands on them and we pray for healing. Because we love that. It's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good and we see some of those. But the real miracles, sometimes we're pursuing those. We forget the real miracles are the ones that are tested and tried in the fire. And it's a changed life. Those are the ones that set heaven to partying. The biggest miracle by far is a changed life. And why do we dismiss, why do we dismiss the miracle of medicine? Why do we dismiss the miracle of medicine? Some of the miracles that Jesus did without medicine in the Gospels and he did, I mean, he didn't, he didn't do miracles with medicine, and he's got the power, he does it, he still does it today, but some of the miracles Jesus did in the New Testament without medicine, like healing blindness and leprosy and stuff like that, a lot of, some of those things he heals today through medicine. Did you know that? You're going to take glory from him from that? Who invented medicine? Who invented the world where there is such a thing as medicine? Some of the temporary blindness and forms of blindness, I've seen 
uh, all kinds of shows and different things of stuff that they were able to cure now in the world and that they're helping people in poor nations and leprosy, stuff like that. Some of the stuff he healed without, you know, without medicine in the Gospels, he's healed millions of people now in the world through medicine. How is that anything less to his glory? I could tell you cell groups in this church, again, I'm thinking real stories. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm not talking in theory. I'm talking real stories. And more than one, I'm thinking of stories where uh, cell groups here in this church where a person in a cell was diagnosed with cancer and the whole cell rallied around. I'm thinking of cases where, where cells, the person in their, in their cell group got cancer and they rallied around the, the, these people and they, uh, um, you know, took, gave rides every day. They, they actually made a schedule and people from the cell group gave rides for that person to and from treatment every day so they wouldn't have to go alone and made meals for these people and took care of them, sometimes even financial help, and they took care of these people and then and just loved these people and became a family. Became, they were the hands and feet of Christ to those people with cancer. And on the far side, these people come out of the cancer treatment, they come out cancer-free, and I say, how is that any less of a miracle? How is that any less of a miracle than if it would have just been done instantaneously right at the beginning? Meanwhile, through this whole thing, this cell group, got to obey the New Testament. They got to be bonded together into a church family. They got to experience sacrificial love. They got to sacrificially serve each other. How is that not a miracle? I mean, if every single one of our sicknesses and our little boo-boos and everything that went wrong for us got instantaneously healed, we wouldn't be able to obey half the New Testament. Because half the New Testament is bearing each other's burdens, praying for each other, taking care of the sick, taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans. That's half the New Testament. So how is that any less of a miracle when we get to be Jesus and the love of Jesus and, and become the real, the church, and take care of the sick and the poor and the hurting? And see people touched through that. How is that any less of a miracle? These miracles are all around us. But you know, a big part of our problem, and, and this is what I've got to hit now for a few minutes. A big part of our problem in this miracle thing, and again, do not hear me saying that we're against miracles. I mean, we pray, a lot of our prayer summits, we lay hands on people. I mean, we have sick people, like I said, coming in here all the time. We, we lay hands on people and pray for healing. I love that. That's part of loving people. And often, God, and we have, we have stories of those instantaneous physical miracles too. But the thing you have to realize is the Bible never says we're supposed to live off those ones. Those are like the candy. Those are the treats. Those are the woo-hoo-hoo. I love you, Jesus. Thank you. That's so encouraging. But the meat is walking with people in love. Walking with Jesus through suffering. It's a relationship. Part of our problem is we have a completely wrong picture of the New Testament church. Wrong picture. We have absolutely wrong picture, especially of the book of Acts. And most of us have a completely wrong picture. We read the book of Acts because the book of Acts is filled with stories of miracles. Is that not true? The book of Acts is filled with all kinds of stories of miracles. And this person got healed, and that person got healed, and God did this, and God did that. We read the book of Acts, and we get this picture of the New Testament church, the early church New Testament. We get this picture like it was not even not it was not normal life. These people were walking on cloud nine, and they were just everything they touched was woo woo healing 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 blessing blessing. They didn't these people didn't even have to brush their teeth in the morning. They just got up and said in the name of Jesus, I declare my mouth clean. <laughs> That's kind of the picture we have of the Book of Acts. 
I mean, they weren't even living normal life anymore. It was just nothing bad happened. And just, oh, miracle, 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 miracle. Yes, it's true. Many miracles happen. But you know, many miracles have happened in our church too. And if people from the outside, and this sometimes happens on a church renewal or whatever, people on the outside, they can look in, they can see. Oh, they get 1,200 people to a prayer summit. They look at some of the video testimonies on our website. It's like, oh, people are being delivered and set free. And all this is true. We're experiencing some amazing things at our church that are not being experienced anywhere else in Canada. We've got this huge core of people that love to pray. We're seeing many testimonies that change lives. But, you know, people can look at this stuff from the outside, and it's almost like some, sometimes they forget we're still real people here. So they come here. All they see is a testimony. They come here, and it's just like, oh, and they don't realize some of you, not me, of course, some of you still fought with your spouse this week. Wow, hey, unbelievable. Some of you still have the flu this week. But they don't see that because they read, see, here's the thing. The book of Acts, the book of Acts was written to show, to record the power of the Holy Spirit moving in that early church because the, the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully. But it wasn't written to document for us every single one of the little everyday occurrences that happened that these people were actually still normal. So of course you don't write down, you don't, in, even in our testimonies, of course you don't find in Acts, you don't find in the book of Acts, you don't find... The, the everyday occurrences of normal life. You don't find Brother James had fish and bread again for the 10th lunch in a row yesterday. Sister Dorcas had the flu last week. She's now recovered. Brother Peter has had a sinus infection now for the last two and a half weeks. You don't find that stuff in there because, first of all, the book of Acts would have to be thousands of pages long and it would be incredibly boring, and it wouldn't get across to us the point of what the Holy Spirit wanted to inspire, which is, this is the Holy Spirit at work in this place. It's the same thing here. We don't put testimonies up there. Donovan did nothing yesterday on his day off. <laughs> so-and-so had, you know, whatever. So-and-so went to, the to emerge last night with an earache. I don't put that on there. What do we do? We put on the ones that you can celebrate, the ones that encourage, the ones that, that, that it's just a little spike. Yeah, look, God's at work. So you put up there, you know, Stefan finally got saved. Hallelujah, right? So you don't put up. Okay, same with the book of Acts. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of miracles there because a whole bunch of miracles happen. But here's the thing. If you could go back in time to the book of Acts, you'd be struck by two things. You'd be struck by two things. On the one track, you would be struck by the fact that God was at work in that place. He was moving. There was miracles. People were, people's lives were changing, and they really loved each other. That would have been the biggest thing. Jesus said, you'll know they're my disciples by their love. The biggest thing that would have hit you was they loved each other. Even there, they weren't perfect, though. Acts chapter 6 records that in the church, the early, early church there, there was friction between the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. They were even fighting in that church. So you would be struck on the one hand by God was moving there. Just like here at Southern, I feel so lucky to be here. There's lots of examples we can show you where God's working. But at the very same time, you'd be struck with how normal and regular they were. They still lived human life. Yeah, they saw a bunch of miracles, but that doesn't mean they weren't still getting sick. 
Yeah, a few people got healed and you, you put those down there, but they didn't have chapters of all the people who just got sick just the way we do still today. The fact of the matter is, they were still normal human beings. They still got the flu. They still got the cold. They still got all those things and suffered and died. All of those things happened and God was at work. But we have to get out of our minds this picture of the book of Acts. was just, woo. Okay, now, you're saying, show me this in the Bible because some of you, that picture is just so ingrained that the book of Acts, it wasn't like anything we've ever seen here. It's just total miracles all the time, every second of the day, and nobody got sick and nobody... I'll show it to you. Again, they don't write whole chapters about this stuff, but you can find it in some of the re- writings just offhand. References to normal life and people getting sick. For example, 2 Timothy 4, 19-20. We get this little tidbit of how regular and human life still was for Paul and his fellow Christians in the early church. Paul says this near the end of his letter, Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of uh, Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was, what? Who was ill, okay? I-L-L, if you sound that out, ill, okay? And uh, the Greek word means sick. <laughs> so Paul writes at the end of his letter, Here he is ministering with his buddy Trophimus, who got sick. So what did Paul do? Oh, in the name of Jesus, I claim heaven here on earth. Right now, you are not sick any longer. Hallelujah. No. He left him behind. You're too sick. Yowzers, I'm leaving you. I'm moving on. I left him behind because he was sick. This is Paul. This is not a man who lacked faith. He saw lots of miracles in his life. Lots. Lots of miracles, and yet, people getting sick in his entourage and him getting sick was still such a normal part of life. He just writes about it offhand. Notice, notice that he's not freaking out here. He's not freaking out. So we have this idea, everybody got healed in the book of Acts. You'd think Paul would be saying here, oh, what happened? Everybody else has always been healed. The power has left me. Is that what he does? It's just offhand. People got sick all the time still. They got just as sick as we do. They had a whole bunch of miracles, but we actually have lots of miracles here too. And the biggest miracles are changed lives anyway. But I love praying for people to be healed, but Paul says, I mean, I'm sure he did pray for Trophimus to be healed, but it didn't work that way. How about this one? 1 Timothy 5, 22 to 23. Paul is sending a bunch of practical instructions to his protege Timothy, and he says this near the end of the book. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. I love this in brackets now. Love, love brackets. You just get a little insight. No longer drink water, only, only, no longer drink only water. By the way, let's keep this next part in context, people, okay? <laughs> but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Your frequent ailments. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. These are not people who do not have faith. These are people who have seen lots of miracles. Paul does not say, Timothy, you just got to have faith. Timothy, it's, Timothy, do they have frequent ailments in heaven? What are you doing with frequent ailments here on earth? What does he say? He said, get some more faith. He said, get rid of that sickness. They say, we've got to just pray healing over that thing. No. He says, take your medicine. 
take your pills, guy. Take your cough, you know, grandpa's cough medicine, right? Just settle that stomach down. <laughs> Why? Don't. I'm against drunkenness, by the way, just so you know. Put that on a video, too. I'm not making light of that, okay? It's not, but I'm not, but let's just keep moving. Get in trouble here. That's what Paul says. I could find you lots of this in the New Testament. Philippians 2, 25 to 30. Paul has a companion, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus gets so sick he almost dies, Paul sends him home to the Philippian church. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul goes to God about his thorn in the flesh. Now some people argue, well, he wasn't sick because we don't get sick here on earth. Never mind these other passages. But they say, so the thorn in the flesh wasn't sickness, it wasn't something else. Okay, it doesn't matter what it was. Do they have thorns in the flesh in heaven? They don't have thorns in the flesh in heaven. Paul had it all here on earth. And did God take it away from him? He said no. Galatians chapter 4. Go and read it. Galatians chapter 4. Go and read it this week. Paul talks in there about he, how he had a hideous eye disease. It was actually gross to look at. That's my paraphrase. He had a hideous eye disease. It was gross to look at. And he talks about how the Galatians took him in and how God used that sickness to bring the gospel to the Galatian Christians. See, now, do they have hideous eye diseases in heaven? Not a chance. But does God use diseases here on earth still today for his purposes? You better believe it. You better believe it. And the early church, Paul and the rest of them were filled with faith. And did they see lots of miracles? You bet they did. But sickness and suffering and colds and the flu and everything else of normal human life, if you could go back in time, this to me is so encouraging. When you read the book of Acts next, I don't want you to read it as this was a bunch of angels walking around on cloud nine. These were regular people. And if all of what God was doing here at Southland even was written about, certain, certainly I'm not comparing us to the church at Acts. We're not, I'm, uh, no doubt we're not at that level yet. But if all was written down of what God has been doing here the last few years, I bet it would look a lot like the book of Acts too. And yet we all know that we are regular, regular human beings and we still have suffering and sickness and all the rest. Is that not true? To me... I think that's encouraging. And so we come back to the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not talking about everything that's in heaven. I can just claim it here on earth. It's talking about something way, way more beautiful than that. It's not a formula. You just claim what's there, what's here. It's a relationship. It's talking about a place that you get in your heart, which I talked about a little bit before. Is you get to this place in prayer with the Father where His goodness so overwhelms your heart that you yield yourself over and you say, I want what you want. You get to this place of trust where you've been hanging on, even in prayer, you've been hanging on to control. I've got to have it answered this way. I've got to have it happen this way. God, you've got to make it happen this way. And you push into His presence and he, He's not mad at you. He says, child, I love that you come to me with your desires. I love that you're real with me about what you want. But actually, in this case, lots of times he wants to answer exactly how you asked him. But sometimes he says, child, in this case, I've got a better way. And you might not choose that way yourself. And maybe it's a bit painful for a while. Maybe, maybe it's a bit hard. But child, my way is better than your way. And we can get to this place in prayer, where the goodness of God so softens our hearts 
that we actually just go like this. We give him our deepest heart desires, but we don't give them to him like this. You got to give it to me this way. We give it to him like this. We say, Jesus, this is what I really want. Because he, he wants to hear what you want. He wants to hear your heart. It's not that we don't go to him with our heart, but you go to him with your heart like this, and you say, but I want your will in my life, not mine, because I actually know yours is better. And when you get to that place in prayer, oh, man. Oh, when you get to that place in prayer, and again, it's not somewhere you just go and now you're there for the rest of your life. This is a place we bump up against and then we fall down. We bump up against and we fall down. And next thing you know, one day, I've totally surrendered to God. I'm yielded to Him. I want His will. And then the next day, boom, we're hanging on again. Isn't that true of human existence? And He loves us through it all. But you get this place in prayer where it's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's I want your way, not my way. I know, and it's not even a spiritual thing of like, well, I'm just so spiritual, I want your way and not my way. It's not even like that. It comes out of trust. I know your way is better. I want what you want because you're good and I trust that you're good. And I trust that you're good. When you're in that place of trusting, submission, suddenly the lines of communication are open. When you get to that place, it's like, Suddenly, God can trust you with the revelation of what he's doing in a situation. And so you've been banging your head against this thing over and over again. God, 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 God. And then at a certain point, he says, I'm, again, I'm so glad you're coming to me in prayer. But at a certain place, you open up your hand and you say, okay, God, it's however you want to answer it. I want. And when you get to that place, suddenly the lines of communication are open and you're hearing God everywhere you go. Suddenly, Holy Spirit, suddenly your prayers have faith. You want to pray powerful prayers? You get to that place where you say, God, I want to just pray your will. I want to pray this. And now God opens up your heart and you say, whatever you want. Then he shows you what he, want, what he wants. And then you begin to pray what he wants. And now your prayers, you and God, are on the same page. And when you pray and you, are, and, you and God are on the same page, your prayers, it's powerful. 1 John 5, 19. I think Ken put it up there. I love Ken Harder. I didn't have this one on there in the morning. I just, off the cuff. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, know that, according to his will. You come to this place in prayer where you've just banged your head and banged your head and banged your head and then you say, okay, God, I want what you want. But if we ask anything according to his will and you open your hands like that with your prayer request, He hears us. That's the promise. Verse 14. Verse 15. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked from Him. Guaranteed 100% you get your prayer answered. You come to this place in prayer where it's like, oh, oh, I want what you want. And now He opens up your heart and He shows you what He wants. And it's actually for your good. It's for everybody else's good. It might not have been the path you would have chosen because maybe it has a bit of pain, but you know He's in it. And now you begin to pray what he wants and you guys are on the same page and you actually want what he wants. When you pray like that, oh, that is praying. Praying is not a discipline anymore. That's praying with faith because you know 100% and you can feel it in your spirit. I know I'm praying. I'm hitting the jackpot right here because me and the Father are on the same page. Heart to heart, we've connected and we're praying together on this now. This is not a casual prayer. I'll finish with this. One of the things that a lot of evangelicals have done with the your will be done is they've got the opposite abuse. They just got to this place where it's like 
praying your will be done is like this casual thing you do in like five seconds. You don't actually want to, you don't actually want to pay the price of going deep with God in prayer. You don't actually want to pay the price of seeking him with fasting, of waiting on him, of listening to him. So instead of doing that, you just sum it up with the formula. Whenever I have something big to pray on, I don't actually want to spend the time pressing into the presence of God. I just pray, Lord, I just pray you would do your will in this. And then just go about your life. That is not what Jesus is talking about here either. Your will be done is not this casual five-second prayer, just, just do whatever you're going to do, God. It's about relationship. It's not a formula. It's not like God hears that and is like, oh, thanks, son, for saying those words. Bye. Thanks for saying your will be done. That makes me feel so much better. No. He's looking for people who will press into his presence and pay the price and go deep with him and seek him and seek his will. They don't flippantly throw it, your will be done. They go so deep with him that the hearts connect and they actually want what he wants to be done. Then he shows them what he wants to, be, what he wants to have happen and then they pray that. They don't just pray, oh, your will be done. They go deep with God and they know what he wants done and they want it and then they now pray it into being. Does that make sense? Those are powerful prayers. It's relational. Relational. God's drawing us in, the Father. That's the end of the Lord's Prayer. Here's the last weekly challenge. I want to challenge you to this. Once again this week, list your two or three biggest prayer requests and desires. And I want to, I want to be so clear about this, because one of my fears in preaching this message, your will be done, is sometimes people over-spiritualize your will be done. Now they're always trying to figure out when they pray. I can't actually pray what I want. I have to try and figure out what God wants and pray that. That is not, that's not what, the, you are supposed to go to God with your heart and be real. You start by going to him and you tell him what you want. You don't have to worry about, oh, is this spiritual or not? I don't know. If you want it, just tell him that. I don't want my kids to have to figure out, I wonder if dad wants me to have it or not. I'm afraid. I want them to be open with me about what, they re what their heart is. So the first step in prayer is you just go to him, Lord, this is what I want. This is my desire. I desire to have a great marriage, not a mediocre one. I desire, God, it's true. I just actually desire that house. I mean, maybe I'm unspiritual, but I just want a bigger house and I'm praying. You just tell him what you want. It's not unspiritual to tell him what you want. I'm not saying he'll give you everything you want all the time. But you just go to him, you be real with him this week, and unashamedly tell God what you want and write it out. But then here's the thing. You don't end there. You've got to be real with him in prayer. You never have to be ashamed about telling him what you want. But you don't end there. And the next thing is, is you pour out your heart to him. You tell him what you want. And then at the end, before you leave, you stop and you say, Now, Father, I want to hear your heart about the things my heart desires. Now, some of you, you'll actually be scared to do that. I know that feeling. I don't even want to hear because I just feel bad even asking God this. I don't want to hear what he feels about the things I do. I'm afraid he's going to reject me. I'm afraid he's not going to want the same things I want. You know, people, tell God that. I've told Jesus this. I've told Jesus, Jesus, I'm actually afraid to hear you on this because I'm afraid you don't want what I want. Tell him that. Be real. It's a relationship. But then begin to seek his heart. You know what? Many times you'll be amazed. His heart is a father's loving heart. You'll be amazed. You'll open up about your desires, and then he'll tell you, ha, I love those too. Oh, you start praying, that's exciting. 
Other times, though, he's going to come, he's going to say, actually, I love your heart in this. I love that you want that, but I actually see something bigger here. And you're going to start to see his heart. And it's actually even better than yours. And now you start to pray that. That's your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Prayers start to come alive and there's faith. You're, you're relating with God and talking to him. It's for real. And then every day in your prayer time, declare this to God. I know that what you want for me is always for my best. Show me what your heart is in these areas and help me to want what you want. I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing the Lord's Prayer back to the Father again. One last time. Lord, I thank you for each of these people. I thank you for each of these people that are here today. There's people here today, God, and they're actually, right now, they're in a marriage crisis. They need to know that you hear them today. There's people here today, and they're in a physical crisis. There's people here with serious diseases and ailments. They need to know that you're with them today, too. And that your way is best. We actually want your way to be done in our lives. I pray that you would take, what is prayer? It's not some discipline. It's, being a, it's just being in a relationship with you, Father. Would you take our relationships with you this week to a whole new level? Teach us to be real with you. Teach us to yield ourselves to you. May we find you to be good, so good, that we can trust you and we can let go. And we can pray our prayer requests with openness and with faith. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.